Our gospel reading this morning is from Mark chapter 6. And we are actually starting just the way that they've numbered the verses here. We're going to start halfway through verse 6 and go through verse 13. And um, we are going to be talking about, or we're going to be reading about one of the times that Jesus uh, is very much trying to teach his disciples something uh, through an experience they had uh, different than just telling them about stuff. And so this is him sending them out to do things. And before we read, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for this day that you have made. And God, we thank you for your word that you have given to us. We ask that this morning that you would help us uh, to have the ears to hear your word. God, that you would give us minds that are prepared to think about what it is that you are saying. That you would give us hearts that are prepared to receive your word into our lives. That we would be changed uh, even today to reflect you more and more as you uh, continue to make us into the people that you created us to be in relationship with you through Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Mark chapter 6 starting halfway through verse 6. Then Jesus went around uh, teaching from village to village. Calling the twelve to him, he began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over impure spirits. These were his instructions. Take nothing for the journey except a staff. No bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Wear sandals, but not an extra shirt. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. And if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, Leave that place and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. They went out and preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. Turning then to our New Testament reading, 2 Corinthians 12, 11 through 21. As Paul continues in his letter to the church in Corinth, um, in kind of an area where he's been a little sarcastic. And he says, I have made a fool of myself, but you drove me to it. I ought to have been commended by you, for I am not in the least inferior to the super apostles, even though I am nothing. I, preser- I persevered in demonstrating among you the marks of a true apostle, including signs, wonders, and miracles. How were you inferior to the other churches, except that I was never a burden to you? Forgive me this wrong. Now I am ready to visit you for the third time, and I will not be a burden to you because what I want is not your possessions, but you. After all, children should not have to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. So I will very gladly spend for you everything I have and expend myself as well. If I love you more, will you love me less? Be that as it may, I have not been a burden to you. Yet, crafty fellow that I am, I caught you by trickery. Did I exploit you through any of the men I sent to you? I urged Titus to go to you, and I sent our brother with him. Titus did not exploit you, did he? Did we not walk in the same footsteps by the same spirit? Have you been thinking all along that we have been defending ourselves to you? We have been speaking in the sight of God as those in Christ, and everything we do, dear friends, is for your strengthening. For I am afraid that when I come, 
I may not find you as I want you to be, and you may not find me as you want me to be. I fear that there may be discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, slander, gossip, arrogance, and disorder. I'm afraid that when I come again, my God will humble me before you, and I will be grieved over many who have sinned earlier and have not repented of the impurity, sexual sin, and debauchery in which they have indulged. This is the word of the Lord. Well, as we um, come to our sermon text from Genesis chapter 43 going on into chapter 44, um, we are continuing a story. And we are continuing a story that we began at the very beginning in Genesis chapter 1. And we have been going on uh, looking at not only the way that God has created this world good and has created people good and has created everything good. And as he stepped back from all of it, he said, ah, it's very good. And everything was in its place and everything was in proper relationship to him and to each other and to all of creation. But then how very shortly after that, uh, we see that things break down when people turn away from God to do what seems right in their own eyes. And then, immediately after that, we see God begin to, um, to make a promise of how that will not always be the case. That this brokenness is not what's going to define everything from now on. That there will be a, uh, a resolution, there will be a solution to this problem and this brokenness. And, um, and this is the story that we have been telling. This is actually the story that we are still living in. And we look around the world today and we see an awful lot of signs of brokenness everywhere we look. And we see uh, broken relationships and we see broken people and the damage and the destruction that that causes. And yet, this is the story the Bible tells. This is the story that we are living in. This is the story of a world that was created good and people who were created good, but where we have turned away from that goodness and chosen a way that is actually not good and that leads to this brokenness and that leads to destruction and that even leads to death. And it's in this story that we still have this promise this promise from God that this will not always be the way, that there is uh, something that will fix this. There is a someone who will actually bring this all uh, to a resolution and to um, not just a good conclusion, but even a good new beginning. And so as we've been looking at this story, we've seen the way that then uh, as this brokenness has continued and has just spiraled downhill, that God chooses a man named Abram, and says, it is through your family that this is going to happen. And we've been following the generations down because we say, okay, it's going to be through somebody here. So we've been following the generations down, and we've gotten to this guy named Joseph. And Joseph uh, is the the favorite son of his father, Jacob, otherwise known as Israel. And this favorite son at age 17 is enjoying being the favorite son. And this favorite son 
is having these dreams of the day when his whole family is going to bow down to him. And he doesn't mind telling them all about that, of how, hey, one day I'm going to be so far above you, you lowly people that you are, my fellow brothers. They're going to bow down to me. And, of course, they don't like that. They don't like uh, the way that he sees himself as above everybody else. They don't like the way their father treats him like he's above everybody else. And so they come up with a solution. Initially, their solution is, we'll just kill him. Problem solved. But they decide instead of killing him, they would just sell him to be a slave in Egypt. Problem still solved, now with a bit of pocket money. (laughs) So this is the plan, and this is what they do. And we have seen, as we've been following this story along, that Joseph goes to Egypt, and he goes as a slave. And it seems like things are about as low as they can get for him, but they're not. While he is there serving as a slave, faithfully as a slave in Egypt, he is falsely accused and thrown into prison where he spends at least two years in prison wondering what in the world has happened in his life, what in the world was uh, ever going to come of the dreams that he'd had, of his brothers bowing down to him. That certainly didn't look possible at that point. And yet we read, even in uh, that place, it said that God was with him. Through a series of uh, further dreams, God raises Joseph out of prison, not just back to being a slave, but actually to the right hand of Pharaoh of Egypt himself, where Joseph is now going to be overseeing the uh, collection of grain during seven years that Egypt is going to have of lots of uh, lots of grain, more than enough. And also he's going to be in charge of then um, getting that grain distributed during the seven years that are going to follow where there's going to be famine and there's not going to be nearly enough. And so this is uh, kind of where we pick up the story, is this is the situation. But now as we zoom in to the, uh, the story that we're, we've been reading, we see that the brothers, Joseph's brothers, have run out of food in Canaan where they live. They have come down to Egypt. They have tried to get food um, from, you know, Egypt. And they run into Joseph himself. And they don't recognize him. He spent uh, at least 20 years now in uh, Egypt. They change a lot in 20 years. He's grown up from 17 to 37 And now he looks like an Egyptian. He spent more of his life in Egypt than he ever did in Canaan. He has, um, well, anyway, (laughs) he has recognized his brothers, but they didn't recognize him. And the way that he treats them, you have to think, has anybody ever read the Count of Monte Cristo? Anybody? Oh my goodness. It's long, and it's um, disturbing in some areas. It's a revenge story is what it is. A a guy who um, is 
wrongly imprisoned, though innocent, and sent away from his people and uh, basically presumed dead and thrown into prison. And all of this uh, undeserved and all of this because of jealousy of others. It kind of sounds like a familiar story, doesn't it? And then he spends a lot of time in prison. And uh, one of the things that he is thinking about is what he would do if he ever got the chance, right, (laughs) to get back at the people who put him here. He figures out uh, how, you know, what has happened, how he's gotten there. And sure enough, I'm not going to give you all the spoilers, but he gets out. And, and there's a reversal of his fortune, and he rises to power and wealth. And then he puts his plan into motion of how to get back at all those people. That is the story. That is an entertaining story. <laughs> um, but in a nutshell, that's it is him then getting back at the people who did him wrong. And so we see with Joseph a very similar opportunity as he has now the brothers who sold him into slavery in Egypt. We even read about the part where they were feeling bad about this uh, and saying, you know, all this is happening to us because we wouldn't listen to him when we heard his cries for help when we had him in a pit before we sold him into slavery. And you're like, ah, So you reflect back on how this must have been from Joseph's perspective, how he's there, his brothers have thrown him into a pit, and he's crying out, guys, come on, I'm your brother. Get me out of here. Don't do this to me. And they refuse to listen. And instead, they haul him out, not to set him free, but to sell him into slavery in a foreign land. And you go, okay, that's bad enough. Then he goes to prison there, and you're thinking, okay, if he ever ever sees these brothers again, What's it going to be? But then we saw that he did see them and he did kind of treat them harshly. He recognized them. And so the way that he treats them, he's like, I think you're spies. That's what it is. You're not from around here and you've come here not just to get food. That's just your act. You've come here actually to spy out the land so that later you can attack us. See, we're weak. And like, no, 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 that's not it. We've got a father back home. We've got a brother back home. And he's like, oh, really? Tell you what. I'll believe you if you bring your brother to me. So he sends them home with grain. He sends them home even with the silver they had used to buy the grain. And they get home, and um, he did keep one of them back as collateral, Simeon in prison. And, uh, and as he did that, his father shows his hand. We see, follow the story there, and his father doesn't let them go back to Egypt, leaves Simeon to rot in prison in Egypt, because he's unwilling to let Benjamin go. Benjamin, who is now his favorite son. Well, eventually, this is what we looked at last week, he decides he has to let them go. They're going to starve to death otherwise. And so he lets them go. And he sends all kinds of gifts with them. Maybe this will soften this guy up. And then we saw that... uh, all their fears of how is this guy going to treat us when we get there this time were completely unfounded. They get there, and instead of the bad treatment they were expecting, this is what we talked about last week, how they were afraid he was going to steal their donkeys, and instead he provides fodder for the donkeys. What? Like, even to the point of the donkeys, uh, it is what their expectation is, and what they get is completely opposite. 
They're expecting only bad, and what they're getting is only good. And so with this, one of the things that we've been talking about is that uh, if this were a revenge story, if, uh, if that were the case, you would expect Joseph to treat them harshly, and he kind of does here. And you go, oh, okay, so that's what this is. But it's not. Because one of the things that we have seen throughout is he continues to be good to them, even through the harshness. And he continues to have to like hide himself and weep for a while because he's overcome with emotions because of uh, what he's seeing with his brothers and they're being reunited together as a family. The anger is gone. There's not the bitterness here. He's let that go. We, what we see is forgiveness, but what we're also seeing is the reason for the uh, way he's treating them is as a test. And so they have passed the first part of the test, by the way, in bringing Benjamin back to Egypt. This morning we get the next part of the test, and we're not even going to get to see how they handle it. But we'll get a taste. This is uh, Genesis chapter 43, starting in verse 26 and going on to 44, 13. So 43, 26, we pick up the story. And it says, when Joseph came home, they presented to him the gifts they had brought into the house and they bowed down before him to the ground. He asked them how they were. And then he said, how is your aged father you told me about? Is he still living? They replied, your servant, our father, is still alive and well. And they bowed down, prostrating themselves before him. Just in case you've already forgotten the dreams he had as a 17-year-old. Okay. Brothers bowing down to him. That's happened. It's only taken 20 years, but here we go. As he looked about and saw his brother Benjamin, his own mother's son, he asked, is this your youngest brother, the one you told me about? And he said, God, be gracious to you, my son. Deeply moved at the sight of his brother, Joseph hurried out and looked for a place to weep. He went into his private room and wept there. After he had washed his face, he came out and, controlling himself, said, serve the food. They served him by himself, the brothers by themselves, and the Egyptians who were with him by themselves, because Egyptians could not eat with Hebrews, for that is detestable to Egyptians." So we'll pause on that. Did you notice there are three tables? I mean, first of all, there's the whole problematic thing of people who don't eat with each other, but we're not going to get into that. But you notice there are three tables. There's the Egyptian table, and there's the Hebrew table, and there's Joseph's table. Why does he have his own table? Which one does he belong in? Is he Egyptian? Is he Hebrew? I think the Egyptians look at him like he's a Hebrew, and I think the Hebrews look at him like he's an Egyptian. So he gets his own table. Nobody eats with Joseph. Anyway, the men had been seated before him in the order of their ages, from the firstborn to the youngest, and they looked at each other in astonishment. When portions were served to them from Joseph's table, Benjamin's portion was five times as much as anyone else's. So they feasted and drank freely with him. <clears throat> there are a couple things going on here. Uh, one, I think their heads are just spinning. 
I mean, these brothers were really, uh, I mean, as they were approaching <clears throat> his house, they're thinking the only reason he wants us to come here is because he's, he's going to do something bad. That's it. This is a trap, and we're walking right into the trap, and this is horrible. And they're convinced it's going to be bad, it's going to be bad, it's going to be bad. Then they walk in there, and it's like, have a feast. And you know, they just keep waiting for when is it going to happen. And then they're sitting there looking around going, wait a second. He put us in age order. How would he even know that? I mean, it's easy when you've got uh, little kids who are all growing kind of a stair step sort of thing. But at this age, that gets kind of hard to tell who's older than who. And yet somehow this Egyptian they've never really met before gets it perfect. Hmm. And then, not only that, but for some reason, Benjamin gets five times as much as everybody else. Probably not because he's like a teenager and just eats a lot, though that does happen. But this is a sign of that favoritism kind of thing again. This is that abundance. Like, this is more than him just getting a double portion. This is a double portion and then another double portion and then some more beyond that. That's what he's getting. It's just piled up. It's kind of a comical, as you're looking around the table, it's like, here's my plate, and there's, there's Benjamin's plate. You're like, what even is that? It's not like he's going to eat all this. This is just a sign of this guy. Let's put the spotlight on him as this is the one that I am just showering gifts upon and the blessing upon, and et cetera, et cetera. He is the favored one, not just to your father back in Canaan, but even here in Egypt, this guy is the one that uh, gets the attention over you. Now, how do you think that's going to feel to everybody else? See, that's the point. Because that's the test. Because there was a time earlier in their lives where Joseph was the favorite brother, and the father showed that. He gave him a special coat, and he walks around in his special coat, and his brothers are like, I can't stand it. I can't stand that this guy is getting the special treatment. And Joseph wants to see, is that still how they are? They still have that same uh, uh, <laughs> inside of when Benjamin is treated so special. We'll find out. Because this is just the beginning. Now, <clears throat> where we leave off? Benjamin's portion was five times as much as anyone else's, so they feasted and drank freely with him. Now, Joseph gave these instructions to the steward of his house. Fill them in sacks with as much food as they can carry, and put each man's silver in the mouth of his sack. Then put my cup, the silver in the sack, by the way, is just, they're getting this for free. And they are prepared to pay for it, and yet they're getting it for free. Uh, <clears throat> then put my cup, the silver one, in the mouth of the youngest one's sack, along with the silver for his grain. And he did, as Joseph said. As morning dawned, the men were sent on their way with their donkeys. And they had not gone far from the city, when Joseph said to his steward, go after those men at once, and when you catch up with them, say to them, why have you repaid good with evil? Isn't this the cup my master drinks from and also uses for divination? This is a wicked thing you have done. When he caught up with them, he repeated these words to them, but they said to him, why does my Lord say such things? Far be it from your servants to do anything like that. We even brought back to you from the land of Canaan the silver we found inside the mouths of our sacks. So why would we steal silver or gold from your master's house? If any of your servants is found to have, to have it, he will die, and the rest of us will become my Lord's slaves. You have no idea 
Very well, then, he said. Let it be as you say. Whoever is found to have it will become my slave. The rest of you will be free from blame. Wait, is that what they said? That is not what they said, is it? He just softened the deal. (laughs) He's like, all right, it'll be just like you say, but not really. We're not going to make it like that. Not killing anybody here. And in fact, we're not going to make all of you slaves. Only the one who has it. Each of them quickly lowered his sack to the ground and opened it. Then the steward proceeded to search, beginning with the oldest and ending with the youngest. And the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. At this, they tore their clothes. Then they all loaded their donkeys and returned to the city. That's where we're going to have to stop. I know. It's just getting good. Here's the deal. This is where the um, the brothers... <clears throat> Like, we will find out if, how they do with this test. But this is the test. Joseph has now put them in a position where they are getting exactly what they wanted 20 years ago. The clearly, the favored brother is being sent to be a slave in Egypt. Isn't that what they wanted all that time ago? They wanted their that favorite brother to go off to be a slave in Egypt. And that's what they made happen. And now here, Joseph is arranging it for them. All they have to do is go, cool, go on home. Nobody else even has to go back to Egypt. That's what the steward said, right? Whoever's found to have it will become my slave. The rest of you will be free from blame. You can go. But you know what? In this test, I said we're not going to get to the full answer of how they do on this test, but we get a hint right here, don't we? Of whether or not they are the same people they were 20 years ago or whether they've changed. Because they do return to the city. They don't have to. They're free to go, but they return to the city. And why? Well, we're given a hint on that as well. Because when it says that the cup was found in Benjamin's sack, is that this, they tore their clothes. This is not what they wanted. All those years ago, they thought that this is what they wanted, to get rid of the favorite brother, and then that puts us, we all just go one step up the ladder of dad's favoritism. They thought it would fix things. But they're older and wiser now. If you think back to Adam and Eve in the garden, and there's this uh, fruit that God has told them, don't eat from that tree. But they think, you know what? If we did, though, if we do, we'll be like God. That'll be, yeah, that's what we should do. This, and so they have this, this plan, and it makes sense to them as to how this uh, really is the right course of action. So they take the fruit and everything breaks down. And then we see them living with the consequences of that from then on. And everything's a lot harder than it had been before. And I think the same thing is true here where the brothers had seen, they kind of made their own plan and said, ah, here's what we do. We're going to get rid of Joseph and that'll fix everything. And then for the last 20 years, they've been living with the consequences of that. 
they get home, and instead of everybody moving up a rung in their dad's eyes, their dad can barely raise his eyes from the ground because he's so covered up with sorrow and grief. They can't even look each other in the eyes anymore because now they know what they're capable of. We see shortly after that time, we see Judah living somewhere else. And we're like, why is he living somewhere else? Is it because the brothers can no longer even trust each other? They can't face each other? I mean, they did it to Joseph. Who's to say they're not going to do it to me next kind of thing? Every one of them probably realizes that they're outnumbered if the others so decide. And they've proven they can't be trusted. These are the consequences they've been living with. And they have been living this out and seeing how that decision that we thought was going to fix everything, that we thought was such a good idea way back when, that was dumb. (laughs) That was really bad. And it didn't fix anything. It just messed everything up. And so now, when the same opportunity is presented... Hey, how about the favorite brother goes to slavery in Egypt? They tear their clothes. No, no, we cannot go through that again. We cannot. We cannot face our father again if this is the case. This is why they're tearing their clothes. This is why they're returning to the city. And then we will see how they actually um, deal with this with Joseph next week. But where I want to leave us is thinking on this. They had the opportunity to do exactly what they had done before, and they didn't. And the reason they didn't is because they had learned from their previous mistakes. This test is an opportunity for Joseph to see that they are not the same people they used to be, but it's also an opportunity for them to see They're not the same people they used to be. We are so quick to paint somebody as this is just how they are. It's how they always have been. It's how they always will be. Whether that's to somebody that we know, somebody we don't know, or even ourselves. It's who I am. But one of the um, amazing things that we have, the, uh, the grace that we have, is that we do have an opportunity to change, to be different, to grow, and to develop, to repent, to turn around, from, to go back uh, from who we shouldn't be back to who we should be. This is um, it's an amazing thing. And I, I love watching, as you read through the Gospels, the disciples that Jesus picks— he doesn't go around and pick the people who have it all figured out. And he's, it's, they're good. They're good to go. Come on, you guys. I want you. You're ready. He picks these people who are just normal people. Sometimes they get things right. A lot of times they don't. And he says, okay, follow me. And then over and over and over, he continues to teach them patiently and showing them patiently. There's another way 
to live this life, uh, this life with God and in harmony with him and with each other and in right relationship with everything. This is what the new kingdom is all about. So turn away from the old ways. Follow me. And then we get to watch as they mess that up (laughs) again and again and again. But we also get to see Jesus changed them. When he first called some of those disciples, he actually said, uh, follow me and I will make you fishers of men, right? I will send you out to fish for people. And you start watching how that begins, that whole process, and you're like, I don't think they're ever going to get there. But you go on to the end, they do get there. That as you're reading through the book of Acts, this is exactly what they're doing. They're just, they're going out and they're, Send them out to fish for people. That's what they're doing. And you see an amazing change in the lives of these disciples because of their time with Jesus. So what I want us to be thinking on this week, a couple things, is one, how is it that Jesus is giving us opportunity for change, direction for change, What is it he's calling us to turn away from? What is he calling us to turn towards? Another thing is for us to be able to forgive ourselves for the things that Jesus forgives us for. That we would be freed up to allow ourselves this change. And finally, uh, like Joseph, that we be those who give others the opportunity to change as well. Grudges are easy. Forgiveness is hard. But forgiveness is the way of the kingdom of God. Final Verse Romans 12. As we think about you know, Count of Monte Cristo and Joseph's opportunity for revenge, etc. Paul writes, as someone who had his life changed by Jesus, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends. But leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, It is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. And finally, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day that you have made. God, we do thank you uh, for the opportunities to live differently today than we did yesterday. Lord, we uh, read that your mercy is new every morning. Great is your faithfulness, even when we are not faithful. 
Lord, we ask that you would continue to call us to you. We ask that you would continue to show us where you would have us to change. Not to, not to know the uh, complete acceptance and love that you have for us even now. And yet your desire for us to grow to look more and more like Jesus in everything. Or that by our uh, our words, by our lives, by our attitudes, that it would be through us that those around us would come to know you better. That they too would have hope for a world where the, the brokenness isn't the end of the story. Lord, we pray all of this in the name of Jesus who taught us to pray. Saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.